0: Ephesians chapter 6. So we're in the midst of this series called Surrounded this past week. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a holiday this past Wednesday. um, Kind of a big deal. Lots of kids walking around neighborhoods getting candy and all that. And as I was taking my kids to school on um, Wednesday, taking the boys to school on Wednesday, which by the way, just to let you know, we we do Fall Festival every year around this time of year. Last week's Fall Festival was a huge success. Some of you may have been there, maybe some of you that's the first time you ever kind of stepped foot on the church property, but we, by our estimate, we had around 900 people here for Fall Festival last week. That is just an amazing, amazing thing. And so, If you volunteered last week at all at Fall Fest, let me just, if you raise your hands? I won't make you stand up. If you volunteered, thank, let's all of you, basically. All right. That's good. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for that. All right. So we're going to of this series called Surrounded. Last week was Halloween and on Halloween Day we're driving to school and I was, you know, I was trying to play theme music for the day. And so I did a a Spotify Halloween party playlist as I'm taking the kids to school while my boys are rolling their eyes. You know, that's just what we did. So Monster Mash and uh, One-Eyed Purple People Eater, all those, you know, those great songs, Thriller, which... Um, you can play any MJ anytime you want to play him, but just playing those. And a song came on there I did not expect. You know how sometimes these, like Spotify or, or Apple Music, they'll do a playlist and they'll put them together and you're like, why is that song on the list? And I guess there's an explanation, but this song came on and it was a story song about this kid named John that had a particularly impressive skill that was challenged by a nefarious foe. He was challenged with... Ultimate stakes at hand, and it included the American classic line in the midst of it: "Chicken in the bread pan, picking out dough." Right? Anybody know what song that was? Yeah, Charlie Daniels, right? Devil went down to Georgia. He was looking for soul to steal. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Charlie was just continuing a long tradition of this kind of of an art people expressing a battle between Satan and people. In fact, there's an ancient painting, an old painting um, from uh, several hundred years ago of this chess match between what is called to be Satan over here. I know none of the kids dressed up like that for Halloween, but that's Satan. And this is a particularly worried young man. As you can see in the picture, they are playing a game of chess. And if you could analyze the chess pieces up here Um, if you were a chess person I'm not but that's what I've been told but if you can analyze the chess pieces you would realize that the young man is in serious trouble in fact the name of this painting is checkmate and the idea is that the Satan character has won and this guy is trying to figure out any way he can to get out of the situation Well, there are all kinds of stories about this particular painting, but one holds that it was hanging in a museum or a house even, and a chess master walked upon it. And while other people moved to other parts and other paintings, he focused completely on this one. He analyzed it for hours. And after several hours, he said, hey, can I have a chessboard? So I brought him out a chessboard. And he positioned the chess pieces just like they are. And he began to work it. And he began to move it. And the guy said, what are you doing? He said, just give me a few minutes. And he's working and he's moving. And he's moving pieces in and around. And the white pieces start to advance. And the black pieces start to retreat. And finally, he yelled, I did it. I did it. Started screaming and running around they were like, what is going on? And he walked up to the painting and almost as if directly addressing the painting, he said, young man, your enemy miscalculated a very important move, but I have seen it. You don't have to lose. You win. Checkmate is not on you. It's on your enemy. Over the last three weeks, we've been in this series called Surrounded about spiritual warfare. And it comes from, the name comes from that song where it says, It may feel like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And the reality is that there are going to be times in our lives when we are all going to feel like we're going to think that we are surrounded, that the enemy is at our door, that it looks like life is stacked against us, that a medical diagnosis or a family issue or a problem at work or a financial situation, it's going to feel like the world is crowding in on us and almost as if the world, as if our enemy has says, Checkmate, it's over. And yet... Scripture teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6 that there is a strategy and a reality to this where we can be the ones to say checkmate because of what God has done in and through us. The basic premise of the last few weeks has been that there is an unseen world around us, a spiritual world that we don't see, that it is engaged in a spiritual battle that we are a part of. The important thing to know about that battle is that God has already won the battle. He is one. And our role is simply to implement what God has given us. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, says this. Finally, in conclusion, or even most importantly... Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, be strengthened by the Lord. Don't get your own strength. Don't figure it out on your own. Let the Lord, what he has done for you, fill you. Be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. The strength that is so vast it raised Jesus from the dead. Let that be your guy. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. He goes on to say, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, living a life of sincerity, of truthfulness, because we serve a God of truth with righteousness like an armor on your chest, protecting you from the enemy because we know that God has deemed us right with him. And your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace, willing and ready to take people the understanding of who God is. And in every situation, or in addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now those verses right there, those are going to be our focus points for the rest of the day. We're going to look at these three pieces of armor. We looked at the first three a couple of weeks ago. We look at these three this week. And we're going to talk about how do we stand firm in the midst of spiritual battles. But before we do that, I thought we would talk about a couple of occasions when you can expect spiritual warfare to be really present in your life. In fact... Spiritual warfare is always happening around us, but there are certain times in our lives when it seems like it's going to be more intense than others. And I thought we could just talk about for a minute a few times when you can expect spiritual difficulty to come. First of all, you can expect spiritual warfare to happen when you begin to grow in your spiritual walk with Jesus. When you decide to take a new step of faith, you're going to start to tithe. You're going to start to give. You're going to start to read God's words. You're going to start to pray more. You're going to start to memorize scripture. You're going to start to serve in a certain area. Here's what's going to happen. Maybe you've been somebody that made. man, I've been thinking I need to get in church. I need to go to church. We need to be a part of church. And I'm going to make a commitment to go to church. I can tell you the next five Sundays something's going to come up to make you think you ought not to go to church. But I'm going to set aside an hour every morning to do Bible study. I'm just going to, that's what I'm going to do. Some of you are like, an hour? Okay, five minutes. I'm going to set aside whatever. Immediately, your mornings are going to be packed, or issues are going to arise, or kids are going to wake up early, or things are going to happen the night before that makes you not get to bed on time. Whenever you begin to grow spiritually, the enemy wants to stop that. A second time that you can count on spiritual warfare being real in your life is when you are beginning to invade enemy territory, when you are taking the gospel, when you're doing evangelism, when you're taking a mission trip, when you're going somewhere. I can guarantee you that this week, Chris Phillips at Journey Point Church has experienced spiritual warfare. I know that because he is taking the gospel to a new place in a new way. It happens always. When people talk to me about going on a mission trip, so this summer we have mission trips to Denver, we have mission trip to Brazil coming up this summer, we have mission trips around here that people get involved in, mission organizations, issues that they're going to help and tackle and take care of. And I tell people, when you decide that I'm really going to start doing that, I'm really going to go that direction, difficulties are going to come. Usually a couple of things happen. Usually God will in some way confirm in your life that you are doing exactly what he's called you to do. So I've had people say, I don't even know where I'm going to get the $100 deposit for a $2,500 trip to Brazil, but I feel like God's calling me to go. Call me two days later and say, I was cleaning some stuff out of my desk, and I found a card that I opened up, and there was a $100 bill sitting in there. God will confirm it. The second thing that almost always will happen is the enemy will attack it and make you think you shouldn't have gone. Also had numerous conversations. I tell people, when you commit to go to Brazil, spiritual warfare is going to happen. Know of a family in this church committed, one of them committed to go to Brazil. Within a couple of weeks, air conditioning went out in their house. Got to replace it. Got to change it. When you're growing spiritually, when you're invading enemy territory, you look at the book of Acts. Every time the gospel is taken to a new place, the spiritual attacks come. Third, when you're exposing the enemy, when you're talking about it, I can tell you that I have preached on spiritual warfare specifically several times in my life. And every time I preach on spiritual warfare, every time I speak on spiritual warfare, every time I teach on spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare breaks out in my life. In our church. In my family's life, it happens. When you're breaking from the world, when you decide you're going to turn the page, you're going to do something new, you're going to do something different, you're going to change some things in your life. Listen, I've been holding to that sin, I've been doing that sin, I'm going to quit that, I'm going to do something else. It's amazing how when that happens, the enemy attacks. And I can tell you one place this is going to take place in a very real way. Some of you in this room have kids that are getting ready to come back from a spiritual weekend of retreat. And unless things are just crazy there, many of them are going to come back on a spiritual high and God has worked in their lives. And they're going to get back this afternoon and many of them are going to go and crash and sleep till tomorrow. And they're going to go to school tomorrow and the enemy is going to attack them at school tomorrow. Some of them are going to come home this afternoon and then he's going to attack your family this afternoon. We need to pray for our kids, for the 40 to 50 people that are coming back from East Tennessee. We need to pray for them this week as much as we've ever prayed. If you picked up a couple of weeks ago, we did see you at the poll, the list of our kids and the schools that they're a part of, and you've still got that somewhere, you've got it on your refrigerator, you've got it with your Bible, spend time praying for them today, tomorrow, this week. And the third or the last time is when a new season of blessing is on the way, when God's about to do something, the enemy tries to get in and break it up. You see, sometimes people think, well, if God's about to do something, or if I turn my life over to God, if I change everything in my life, things are going to immediately get better and it's going to be roses and sunshine. and Everything's going to be great. When the reality is oftentimes when we make a major decision for the Lord to follow him, it doesn't necessarily get better. It gets worse for a time being. Scripture never promises that following the Lord will be a life filled with just happiness and no issues at all. In fact, Jesus says, if you follow after me, you will face very difficult situations. So we find ourselves there. What do we do? Ephesians chapter six, verse 16 through 17 tells us in every situation Take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Three steps here to help us to live the life God's called us to do. The first thing is wear faith like a shield. Now, the shield that it's talking about here is not the rounded shield. like a uh, The Romans had a rounded shield, kind of like Captain America's shield, you know what I'm talking about, right? So that's what I think of when I think of it. It probably didn't have an American symbol on it because America did not exist. But it was a rounded shield like that, all right? That's not what they're talking about here. The word used for shield here is actually the same word used for a door. So the shield that's being talked about here is about four foot high, That's more than four feet, four foot high and two feet wide. All right. I'm terrible with that, but you get the picture It's big. And when you consider that the average Jewish male, including probably Jesus, was somewhere between four foot six and four foot nine. Tall, when you have a four foot shield and you're four foot six, you can hide behind it. I'm somewhere around 5'10", so if you're thinking about if I had a shield, a door literally up here, that came up to here, you could crouch down underneath it. They would link their shields together. They would stand in a line to protect themselves. The enemy realized what they were doing, and so they came up with this method to get rid of the shields. They would light their arrows on fire, shoot them across the way. When the arrow stuck into the wood shield, it would catch the shield on fire. What do you do when you're holding a shield that's on fire? What do you do? You drop it, right? A few years ago, I made the mistake of... Uh, um, I saw seen, We'd seen some recipe how to cook steaks indoors. Because we were going to grill and it was raining outside. A few years, I saw we saw this thing from Alton Brown, how to cook steaks indoor. Great. And you preheat a cast iron skillet to 500 degrees. Take it out. Put it on the stove. Sear the meat. Put it back in. The stakes were great. Here's the issue. The issue is, when I did it the second time, I reached into the stove and did not have an oven mitt on. Yeah, that hurt. Right, I haven't done that again. I don't know if you, like one time was enough. But when I did that, do you know what I did the moment I touched the skillet? I dropped it, right? Like, over. I'm done. I'm not worried about it anymore. I don't care about what the counter looks like. I'm worried about if I have a hand or not, okay? When your shield got on fire, it would burst into flames, they would get rid of the shields that opens them up to attack. So what they began to do is they began to build shields that had walls, like two wood walls here. They would cover them in leather, completely cover them, and they would either dip them in a resin that would put the fire out, or they would leave enough space that when the arrow went into the shield, it would settle in the space and there would be no oxygen there and it would die. There are reports of soldiers coming home with two to three hundred arrows in their shield. Just stand, imagine that. So as you're behind there, with arrows pummeling the shield, you just stand firm, because you know the shield will hold. And he says, to take the shield of faith. To extinguish the flaming arrows Of the enemy. What is he talking about faith here? The word faith can mean a lot of things in the New Testament. But in this particular instance it means. An absolute confidence in God. His power. His promises. And his purpose. He will take care of you. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be concerned. You don't have to have fear. Because God Will take care of you. It says that it's going to protect us against the arrows, the darts, the schemes, the temptation, the lies, the deceptions, the attacks of the enemy on God's people. The doubt that comes, the hateful thoughts, the hurtful thoughts, the temptations in your life, the conflict that comes, the discouragement that happens. So when it says wear faith like a shield, what it means is that we live our lives trusting that God is in absolute control and will take complete care of us. The most bold, confident people in the world ought to be believers in Jesus Christ. We have nothing to fear. Now, I know that's easier said than done. I know it's easy to stand up on the stage and say, don't fear, don't worry, don't worry about anything. I know that. And I know that when you get in your life and tomorrow comes, worry's going to try to creep in. Because it happens to me. And so I'm not telling you as if somebody's got it all figured out. I'm telling you somebody when I look at the truth of Scripture, what I know is we can be completely confident in who God is and He will take care of us. No matter what our situation is at work. No matter what our situation is at home. No matter what... What our situation is in our marriage or with our kids or with our finances or with our medical conditions. God will take care of us. I uh, um, Most of you know that I'm a type one diabetic. Some of you may not know that, but I'm a type one diabetic. And I've been on an insulin pump now for 18 years. Well, this week I got a brand new insulin pump. It's like, Like when you get a new iPhone, except ten times better, all right. And this new insulin pump has a mode on it where it goes auto mode. Now, there are a couple of type one diabetics in the room that are gonna that understand what I'm talking about and they will love this, but it reads your blood sugars and it adjusts to what your blood sugars are. You don't have to adjust for it, it adjusts for you to get it in the right range unbelievable what's really cool is when i went they they won't let me turn the mode on yet they got to let it get ready to turn i'm like just turn it on now no you got to wait a week all right so i'm waiting a week but when i turn it on what's really cool is that the symbol on my pump that lets me know it's working is a shield and it means it's protecting you it's taking care of you it's working the shield of faith Is that thing that protects us, that keeps us, that doesn't let anything happen to us. And we are God's children. Even if they destroy our body, they cannot touch our soul. They cannot touch our salvation. Wear faith like a shield. Second thing he says is put on the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects the most important organ in your body, your mind, your brain. It controls the will and emotions that we live in, that our mind, our minds are unbelievable things. There is nothing that has been created anything like the human brain. I know they make computers that can do all kinds of calculations, but the memory and the longevity and how long it takes and the power that is already supplied to it, there is nothing that has ever been created that comes close to the complexity and the wonder of the human brain. And in the human brain, we have this sense of mind that comes with thoughts and ideas and will and emotions, and it guides much of our life. And what he says here is put the helmet on, just like you put a helmet on when you play football or baseball, or you put a helmet on when you're riding a bike or a skateboard when you put a helmet on to protect the most important organ of your body you put the helmet of salvation on to protect your mind your will your emotions and salvation here means the security we have as believers in Jesus Christ that we are protected from sin not just in the past not just in the future but here and now we can trust in the salvation that comes from God now we are to understand who we were before Christ And we give thanks to God for what he's given to us. That we live our lives based on the reality of salvation that has come to us. That grace has given us. That we are loved by God. That there is nothing that we can do to take away what God has done for us. We live in the reality that God has saved us. Speaking of my mind, sometimes it works in weird ways. I told the first service, and I tell you, thank you for not amen in that particular point. But I was thinking about this this week with a a family that some of you, you know, I'm, I'm trying, this may be a service, our youth are gone, so maybe some of you, this may be a little old for some of us in the service, all right? But a family that reminded me of how a lot of Christians live their lives. Here's the family, all right? Anybody know who this are? Who, who this are? I went, who these people are. Who are these? These are... The Beverly Hillbillies, all right? How many of you have no idea who these people are? Okay, good. we got a couple. All right, that's all right. All right, so the story of the Beverly Hillbillies, this is old TV, right? This is like, um, this is like TV land before there was TV land, TV, all right? The story of the Beverly Hillbillies is their family living somewhere in the south, Arkansas, Tennessee, somewhere, shooting at some food in the back, and what happens? They hit, a, they hit an oil well on their property. They become instant millionaires and they all move to Beverly Hills, that is. And they move into a mansion, right? So they are now millionaires living in a mansion in Beverly Hills. But how do they live? The exact same as they did when they were back in the country with nothing. So they, they have what they call pot passers. You all know, you know, some of y'all remember those? They're pool sticks, cue sticks. They use those, they didn't know what they were, so they were pot passers. And they treat everything in their new house just like it was their old place. they moved into a new place with more money than they could ever imagine. Nicest place in the country, and they're living like they still lived with nothing back home. There are a lot of Christians that have been saved from their past and moved out of their existence as a poor person into the very kingdom and family of God. And they live as if they're still back in the other place. They don't take into consideration what God has done for them, the grace that is there. You can take them off, they'll distract them, alright? So he says, put the helmet on. Realize what God's done for you. The grace that's been given to you. Here's the thing. Some of you are studying for a test that's never going to come. You're thinking you've got to get prepared so that when you get to the end, you'll be there and you'll go, but God, look at all the good stuff I've done. And God says, I saved you already. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to figure that out. You don't have to get that all together. I've saved you. I love you. I proved it on the cross. You don't have to convince yourself of that put on the helmet of salvation and here's the last one and then we're done wield the sword now in this one it gives us an explanation for what it is it says the sword of the spirit which is what the word of god but here's the interesting thing about that phrase most of the time when i hear word of god i think of the bible But that's not the word that's used here for Word of God. It's not the word that they usually use for the Bible. I think the Bible's a part of this. But the idea here is the sword for them, the sword was a short thing, like two feet long, not the big long swords that you think of sometimes with people fighting for in ancient days. These were the short swords. They were for close combat. They were when your enemy got too close and it was almost over that you could take it out of your side and stab real quick. You had to be quick with it. You had to be an expert with it. And this short sword, the word that is used for word in that place, means the spoken word of God. It's not just the written word that we have in the Bible, although I think that is part of it. What it means is that we ought to be so familiar with what God has said to us in the Bible, so familiar with what God has done for us in the Bible, that at any moment we are prepared to use the exact right phrase, word, scripture to Defeat the enemy in that moment so that we are able to push him back when time comes. The best example of this is Jesus' temptation we talked about last week in the wilderness. When the devil comes at him, Jesus pulls out three verses from Deuteronomy and quotes them to to the devil and defeats him in that temptation. We gotta be familiar. I don't mean that you gotta be able to say, let me quote for you Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 6. I mean that you are so into God's word, studying God's word, listening to God's word, hearing God's word explained. You're in a church where God's word is being preached. You're in Sunday school, small groups where God's word is being taught. You're in a small group on Wednesday night where God's word is being taught. Our kids, we're teaching them God's word constantly. That you're in the midst of all of that. And as you're doing that, they have the exact right. You have the exact right thing to say from God's word when you need it. So how do you... uh, Stand firm against the enemy. The way that you stand firm against the enemy is that you believe that God's going to take care of you. That you trust that he's already saved you and there's nothing that the enemy can take from you. And thirdly, you live your life dedicated to the word of God, ready to use it at any moment. And I have no idea what's going on in your life. I don't know if your life right now is as uncomplicated as it has ever been. It is great right now and you don't know of anything that's really going wrong. Or I don't know if you feel like the young man in that painting of Checkmate where you feel like everything is attacking you at once. Regardless, the Lord has provided everything you need if you're a follower of Jesus to stand in the midst of it. And it doesn't matter what circumstance is around you. You can stand firm. We're going to have a time of response in just a moment. Ben's going to come back up and lead us. And in that time of response, I'm just going to ask you to do that, to respond however the Lord leads. Perhaps you're here. Maybe it's your first time you've ever been to this church. Maybe you feel the Lord is telling you to respond in some way. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen, you'll never stand against the enemy of your soul without Jesus. You can't do it. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and today you want to ask questions about that or talk about baptism or maybe join what we're happening here at First Baptist. Or maybe you're here and you just need to pray. You realize that things are coming at you on every side. You just need to pray for just a moment that God would help you to stand firm in the midst of that. I'm going to pray and when I finish praying, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And if the Lord leads you, I'm going to ask you to respond. Let's pray together.